welcome to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church in Easley, South Carolina. Our goal is to exalt the Savior, evangelize the sinner, and encourage the saint through faithful exposition of God's Word. If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. Uh, let's find Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter one, this is our third message as we are walking through the book of Colossians. And we've been in a series that we've entitled The Supreme and Sufficient Savior. Without a doubt, Paul makes it very clear, not only in his letter to the Colossians, but in all of his letters, that there's only one worthy of worship. There's only one that is supreme. There's only one that is sufficient to meet whatever need you might have in his name is Jesus. As we said last week, many have commented that this letter to the church at Colossae should be required reading for anyone seeking to live a life that would be pleasing unto the Lord. Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and he gets word about this thriving church that is happening over in Colossae. Now, during this first Roman imprisonment, Paul wrote not only the book of Colossians, but he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. He hears about this church at Colossae. He hears of their faith in Jesus. He hears of their love one for another. He hears about the growth that is happening in their spiritual lives. And he sits down to pen this letter of encouragement to them. He not only tells them that he is praying for them, but he tells them what exactly he is praying about for them. And Paul really is going to just expose his heart. And we're going to begin reading in verse nine in just a moment, but in verses nine through 14, what this really is, is a prayer of Paul for the saints at Colossae. He tells them specifically what he is praying for them about. And it's a great example to us. And it's also a great encouragement to the church. Can you imagine how this church felt when they received a letter from the Apostle Paul that would be read there in the church. The truth is many of us are beneficiaries of the prayers of others. The Bible tells us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father even now making intercession for us. We are often beneficiaries of the prayers of our grandparents and our parents, the prayers of our spouses, the prayers of our friends and coworkers, and God hears all of those. And we are beneficiaries of those prayers. And Paul is going to pray and the church at Colossae is going to benefit from one of the prayers of Paul. And may we never underestimate the privilege and the power that is available to us on bended knee in prayer. And so as we read through these verses, I want you to think about Paul being there in a Roman prison, chained to another guard, and he pins down this prayer for the church. And this morning, I want us to consider this subject, Paul's plea to walk worthy. Paul's plea to walk worthy. Let's stand together and read the prayer of Paul for the church at Colossae. If you found your place, would you say amen? amen? 
For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Heavenly Father, I pray God as we walk through this passage this morning, that Lord, you would put your finger on what it is in our life that needs to be dealt with this morning. Lord, I pray that you would challenge us, change us through the preaching of your word. And one more time, Lord, I pray for that prayer or that touch that turns a mere mortal man into a messenger of the Almighty. May you, Heavenly Father, be exalted in this place through the preaching of your word and do the work that only you can do in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I pray this morning that as the Lord puts his finger on something in your life that needs to be dealt with, that we would be quick to be obedient to what it is he calls us to do. This past Sunday night, we gathered together in what I would refer to as a sweet hour of prayer. We gathered together and we were specific in the fact that we wanted to not only pray for me and for my, but we wanted to pray for others. And we exercised the command that is found in the book of James to pray ye one for another. Paul's prayer that he pins down here in this first chapter of Colossians, his prayer for the saints at Colossae is that they would walk worthy. Now, the Christian experience is often referred to as a walk. How many of, have, how many of you have heard about a walk with Christ? right? You have a walk, six of you. How many of you have heard the statement having a walk with Christ or walking with Christ, right? Okay. So, so that really is the Christian experience, if you will. Some say, well, wait a minute. I thought, I thought the Christian life was, a, was some race that we were to run. Well, we are, but we're to run it with patience. Do you know how you run with patience? You walk. That's correct. You walk, you walk with Jesus. You're charged in the word of God to not walk after the flesh, to not walk according to the power of this world, but you are encouraged in the word of God to walk in the newness of life. You're encouraged in the word of God to walk honestly. You're encouraged to walk in brotherly love. You're encouraged to walk in wisdom and to walk in the light. And what Paul is going to express to these saints at Colossae is this. My desire is that your walk and your talk match up. That the tongue in their mouths and the tongue in their shoes were going in the same direction. I want us to consider this intercessory prayer of Paul. And if you've ever wondered, how can I pray for you, Pastor? How can I be praying for our leadership here at the church? How can I pray for my grow group leader? 
I would tell you that tomorrow morning in your place of prayer, if you don't know what else to pray, pull out Colossians chapter one and pray the prayer of Paul in verses nine through 14. So as we look at our outline this morning, I see, first of all, the provoking of this prayer, the provoking of this prayer. What is it that was the catalyst for this prayer? What is it that provoked Paul to begin to pray for these saints the way that he did? Look look at verse nine. He says, for this cause, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. Well, it's everything that's found in the first eight verses. He's gotten word from Epaphras that the church at Colossae is thriving and some wonderful things are happening. He's heard of their faith and their love and he knows that they are loving, growing, serving, and going. Paul has also heard that some false teachers had begun to infiltrate the church, spreading a false message and he wanted to put that down as well. So it's Paul's great love for these saints at Colossae and their wonderful testimony that caused him to begin to pin down this prayer. And as we consider the provoking of this prayer, I want you to notice, first of all, Paul's practice. Paul's practice. Now, Paul is not a novice prayer. I assure you that the prayer that is penned here is not the first time Paul has prayed. Now, Paul finds himself imprisoned. And so Paul was unable to preach, but he could pray. Paul was in prison, so he was unable to plant, so he prayed. And instead of complaining about what he could not do, he did what he could do. So many of us sometimes complain about things that we can't, can't do or don't do anymore when we should be doing the things that we know we should be doing. And Paul's a guy that just says, I'm going to spend my time. I, I'm in jail. What else am I going to do? I'm going to pen some letters and I'm going to pray for some people. And that's exactly what he did. Can you imagine being one of the Roman guards chained to Paul? Oh man, this guy's going to pray all day. I'm going to listen to this guy. I'm sure it made some of them angry that they had to listen to Paul pray. I'm sure there were some that as Paul was praying, they may have leaned over and said, hey man, how about about put a good word in for me too? Right? I mean, can't you see this? Can you imagine being, wouldn't you love to have heard Paul pray? Well, he pinned one of them here, so we actually do get to hear it. But in person, as that Roman soldier is chained to Paul, he, he's lifting up his voice and he is praying for the saints at Colossae because that was his normal practice. The question becomes, is that a normal practice for us? The truth is, is that prayer is often one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines that we struggle to be consistent in. Now, if you want to read four of Paul's prayers that were written during the first imprisonment in Rome, there's one found in Ephesians 1. There's another prayer of Paul that's found in Ephesians 3, Philippians 1, and then here in Colossians 1. 
So it was Paul's practice to be a person of prayer. And you and I have been saved by the same Lord that saved the apostle Paul. And we too should follow his example in being persistent and people of prayer. There's Paul's practice, but secondly, notice Paul's persistence. He says in verse nine that since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you. That speaks of a consistency in Paul's life when it comes to the matter of prayer. Would we, would you be able to say that consistency and persistency would be two ways we could describe our prayers and also our prayers of intercession for others? Paul's example to us is so powerful. May God convict us of our anemic, watered down, self-centered, me prayer lives and move us to a place of consistent and powerfully outward focused prayer. There's Paul's practice. Man, he's just a person of prayer. May that challenge all of us. Paul's persistence. So we see the provoking of this prayer. Well, Paul began to pray because he had heard about all the good things and he cared about these people. Let's look at, secondly, the particulars of this plea. You could, you could outline it this way, the catalyst of this prayer and the contents of this prayer. But notice with me, he says in verse nine that he desires that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. It's a prayer for several things that Paul desires for the saints at Colossae. One of the things that he desired is this, the determining of his will. The determining of his will. He says in verse nine, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, let me say this. Life is too short to live outside the will of God. Life is too short to live outside the will of God. And you as a follower of Jesus, you need to know what the will of God is for your life. And we should be controlled by a deep knowledge of God's will. Now it starts in the mind because he prays that you would have what? Knowledge. You need to know the will of God. You say, pastor, that's me. I'm here today and I simply just want to know the will of God. How can I know the will of God for my life? Well, he's revealed the word. He's revealed his will through his word. You will never fully know the will of God for your life outside of being a student of the word of God. You're desiring to know the will of God. Oh, Lord, just tell me you will. Tell me you will. Lord, if you'll tell me you will, I'll just, I, I, I'll do it, I promise. But you won't crack open your Bible. You're never going to know the will of God until you get in the word of God. What's God want for my life? Get in the word of God. And then you'll have the knowledge of the will of God. You want to know some of how that happens? Let me run through some quick scriptures for you. Ephesians chapter five and verse 17 it says, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Again, it begins with a knowledge of knowing the will of God. Then in Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 143, 10, teach me to do thy will. 
For thou art my God, thy spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and the light unto my, ma- unto my path. His word is gonna show you where to go and what to do. Psalm 40 and verse eight. I delight to do thy will, O God. First Thessalonians 4, 3. Here's one of the will of God, wills of God for your life. Pretty simple right here. For this is the will of God. Anybody got any questions about that? This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Now you say, well, what is fornication? It would be any physical intimacy outside the bonds of marriage. So that means inside the bonds of marriage, this is how God designed it. One man, one woman, inside the bonds of marriage, enjoying physical intimacy. Anything outside of that is outside of the will of God. So stop it because it's not the will of God for your life. But I want to know the will of God. I just told you what it is. First Thessalonians chapter five and verse 18. In everything give thanks for this is the what? The will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. See, if you'll get in the word of God, you'll begin to discover the will of God. And Paul prays that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will. There's the determining of his will, but notice with me secondly, the demonstration of his will. It's one thing to know it. It's something else to live it. There's a lot of people that might know the will of God for their life. They may have discovered the will of God for their life, yet they're not demonstrating that they're walking in the will of God. It's not enough to just know it. It's time to put it into action. And he says, I pray that you would have wisdom and spiritual understanding to know how to do that. And in verse 10, he gives us at least three things that would challenge us to demonstrate that we are walking in the will of God. Number one, he speaks of faithfully living, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Paul speaks of having a walk that is worthy of the Lord. This is speaking of your daily conduct. Paul prays that once you know the will of God, that your walk and your talk would match, that your conduct and your confession would match, that your belief and your behavior would match. Now notice this phrase after he says that we should walk worthy of the Lord unto what? Walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Here's what that suggests is that you should walk worthy of the Lord in every single aspect of your life. Now, many of us tend to compartmentalize our lives. And we have all of these little segments of our life and some of them we've allowed Jesus to have access to and some of them we have not. Now, listen to me. When you got saved, you got all of Jesus. The question is, is does he have all of you? Now, there are certain aspects and certain compartments of our lives at times that we just prefer he stay out of. But Paul says that we need to walk worthy unto all pleasing. 
You see, some of us have our spiritual life, a social life, and I'm not trying to build a crowd here. I'm trying to build a church because I'm just telling you, many of us that claim to be saved, blood-bought, born-again believers, your social life and your spiritual life don't match up. You're partaking in stuff in your social life that you would never take part in in your spiritual life. So you got one set of friends that you do this with, and you got another set of friends that you don't do this with. You say, what is this? Whatever you decide that you know you shouldn't be doing. You say, Pastor, we're trying to build a church. Yes, we are. We're not trying to, we're not trying to build just a, just a bunch of folks that are walking through this Christian life, manby-pamby, man. We want to be people that are sold out for the cause of Christ. And the only way we're truly going to make a difference is that we walk worthy unto all pleasing. That means our spiritual life, our social life, our secret life, every bit of it has been invaded by God Almighty. And that we might walk worthy. Now, let me, let me let you off the hook real quickly. This walking worthy unto all pleasing is not hard. It's not hard. It's impossible. Living the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. When you do it in your own strength. But according to Galatians chapter two and verse 20, for the blood-bought born-again believer, Jesus lives in you. And the act of walking worthy is yielding to the Jesus that lives in you as he lives his life out in you. So, so, so you just yield to him because anything good that you do, he did it. Anything bad that you do, some of you are going to say, that's the devil's fault. No, you, 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 you filthy too. We, listen, I don't need the devil. I struggle with the guy I look at in the mirror every day. Amen? My rotten flesh is, is bad enough. But it's yielding to the Jesus that is in us. And we're told here that Paul is saying and praying that you would walk worthy. May this community see that there's something different about those who claim to be saved by God's amazing grace, that we would walk in such a way that there would be something different about us than the rest of society, that we would come out from among them and walk worthy, yielding to his prompting. We're faithfully living. He also prays for them that they would be fruitfully laboring. Watch what he says in verse 10 again. Being fruitful in every good work. And that word fruitful means to be fertile. That's what God's will for our lives is, is that we bear fruit. When you got saved, you should now supernaturally, naturally produce fruit. Now that word bearing and being fruitful is in the present continuous tense, which means it should be an ongoing process. We're not to be fruitful every now and then. We're just to be producing fruit all the time. We're to be fruitful consistently. And let me say this to you this morning. You can't produce fruit. Isn't this good? That, that, that I've just told you it's impossible for you to live the Christian life. That ought to make some of you breathe easy. You can't do it. Jesus can through you. You can't produce fruit because you're not the vine. You're the branch. 
The branch doesn't produce fruit. The vine does. So the branch just abides in the vine. And when I abide in the vine, it just happens. They have a funny video of me preaching about abiding in the vine and producing fruit where I was standing up here struggling to produce fruit. Don't ask Blake Bennett anything about that, all right? But they have a funny video of me as a branch struggling to produce fruit. A branch doesn't struggle to produce fruit. It happens naturally because he is abiding in the vine. John 15 says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. I love this last part because it drives home what I'm trying to teach you. For without me, you can do nothing. I don't have to put all the pressure on me because I'm not the one producing the fruit. I'm just yielding to the one who is. Fruitfully laboring. And then finally, he speaks of faithfully learning, fruitfully laboring, and then he speaks of fervently learning. He says there in the last part of verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul wasn't simply praying that the saints have more information, but that they would experience transformation. You see, information without spiritual illumination is just education. Information with spiritual illumination brings forth transformation. And this only happens when you're a student of the word of God. So here's what Paul is saying. I pray that you would discover the will of God for your life. And the way you're gonna discover the will of God for your life is to get in the word of God. And then after you discover the will of God for your life, I pray you would demonstrate that, that you would walk worthy unto all pleasing every aspect of your life. What is it that God just put his finger on in your life? There it is. You've not surrendered that to him. It's something you either need to pick up or something you need to lay down. And, and, and the Lord put his finger on that, that if you're going to walk worthy, if you're going to demonstrate unto all pleasing, the Holy Spirit of God will put his finger right on what it is in your life and mine. That needs to be dealt with. Some of us need to pick up a better consistency in our prayer life. Some of us need to lay down some things that are hindering our witness. There's the provoking of this prayer. There's the particulars of this plea. And then finally, there's the praise in this petition. The praise in this petition. I absolutely love these next few verses. And they ought to be underlined, highlighted, circled, everything in your, because this, what Paul is saying to them here is so powerful. Listen to what he says. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet, be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Underline that phrase, power of darkness. He's delivered us from the power of darkness, has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Two quick things I want you to see. Paul says, we give thanks unto the father. Why? 
because he rescued us. According to verse 13, he's delivered us from the power of darkness. Now that statement, power of darkness, should take our minds back to a place called Gethsemane. This past September, I had the opportunity to sit there in the garden of Gethsemane for just a few minutes. And the olive trees that are there, they tell us are over 2,000 years old. And as I sat there, I wondered, I wonder if Jesus was right here at this tree as he prayed. But we know that the night that he was betrayed and arrested, he prayed and droplets of blood that formed, or droplets of sweat turned to blood on his brow. And the powers of darkness were in full effect. There were 12 legions of angels with swords drawn that could have put a stop to all of this. But I would say to you, Jesus didn't need the 12 legions of angels. He could have simply spoke and put those Roman soldiers to their knees. After being betrayed by a kiss, the Roman soldiers come and they arrest the Lord Jesus Christ. And he allowed them, hear me, he allowed them to take him to the house of Caiaphas. He allowed them to take him to the house of Pilate. He allowed them to take him to Herod and then back to Pilate. He allowed every bit of it. He allowed them to tie him to the whipping post. He allowed them to put those nails in his hands and in his feet. It was a dark, dark hour. It was the hour of the power of darkness. Write this scripture down, Luke chapter 22 and verse 53. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when I was with you daily in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. You see, the power of darkness came that day. And Jesus Christ gave up the ghost willingly there on the cross and died. And they put him in a tomb. And for three days, everybody just went about their business. Another one who claimed to be Messiah is now gone. But on that third day, <laughs> after a great earthquake, there was one who, who came victorious, who, who, who overcame the power of darkness because he is the light, amen? You and I too were once D-E-A-D. -E we were dead and we were in darkness. We were children of the devil and the power of darkness overshadowed us. But thank God Almighty, one day he came by your way, revealed to you your lost condition, turned on the light. You stepped into the light of his glorious, glorious light and you have been rescued from the power of darkness. I'll no longer know what, what being separated from God is all about because I'll never be separated from him again. I'll be in his presence forever and forever and forever. Why? Because I've been rescued from the power of darkness. Amen. And Paul says, you should give thanks that you've been rescued. Not only have you been rescued, you've been redeemed. Look what he says. In whom, verse 14, we have what? Redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness 
of sin. You see, the river of blood that flowed through the Old Testament wasn't enough to redeem us. But Peter tells us we've been bought, not with gold and silver and things that perish, but we've been redeemed. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You don't belong to yourself anymore, child of God. You belong to him. Notice what this says very quickly. Let me just give you this. He says, we've been redeemed through his blood. Put that, put that verse up real quickly. Verse 14. Or slowly. Anybody? There we go. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Watch this. Even the forgiveness of what? Sins, plural. When you see the word sins, plural, that speaks of your acts of disobedience. When you see the word sin, singular, it speaks of your sin nature. But even after we've been saved, let me ask you a question. Anybody sinned since they've been saved? <laughs> well, eight of us, right? I'll see all the, your other seven. I'll see you down here in a minute, right? See, our sin nature is what we all inherited from Adam. And then we repent of our sins, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he saves us, but we don't become sinless. Well, I wish we did, don't you? You gotta pick this up. I've taught this a hundred times, but you gotta pick this up. This is such a freeing truth. When you got saved by God's amazing grace, all of your sin was forgiven. Past sin, present sin, future sin, forgiven. You will never give an account for sin again. We ought to just call a timeout right there, run around this building for a few minutes and shout hallelujah that we will never, you've been born again, blood bolt, you will never give an account for sin again. So your sonship, your daughtership, when you got saved, you got in the family. Okay? That's settled. But since we've been saved, sometimes we still transgress God's commands, either sins of commission or sins of omission. And John says, confess those sins. And if we do, he will cleanse us from those sins, right? Well, why do we need to be cleansed from sin if we're already forgiven? Because your sin post-conversion does not affect your sonship because you in the family, you ain't getting out. You got born into the family. You got married into the family and you got adopted in the family. There ain't no getting out. You in the family, okay? But your sins do not cause you to no longer be a son or a daughter. And your sins don't affect your sonship, but what they do affect is your fellowship. So for the child of God, you, you know you're saved when you ain't praying like you're supposed to, when you're not in the word the way you're supposed to, when you're dabbling in some sin you know you're not supposed to be dabbling in, what does that impact? Your fellowship with your father. And today, 
There may be some of you that need to say, Lord, I thank you that my sin's been prayed for at the cross of Calvary. And I thank you that I'm in the family, but Lord, my fellowship with you has been impacted because I've discovered your will and I know how you would have me to walk. I know that I should be walking worthy. And so Lord, I've discovered your will, but boy, I'm sure not demonstrating that I can walk in it. My friends would have no idea that I'm a sold out believer. The people I'm around the most have no idea that I claim to be a born again believer. I'm not demonstrating that at all. There's one of two problems there. Either you've never been saved or today you need to get right with God and have your fellowship restored. Thank God we've been rescued, amen? And we've been redeemed. So here's the invitation. Paul is a person of persistent prayer. Would you describe yourself as a person of persistent prayer? Or is that a spiritual discipline that could use a little help in your walk? Once you find a spot in an altar and just be honest before God, He already knows. Just be honest before Him and say, Lord, you know my desire is to be a person of persistent prayer. Would you help me get out of the way? Live your life through me that I might be a person of prayer. Secondly, you may be one of those searching for God's will, but you're not in the word. You need to find a spot in an altar and ask God to forgive you for not being in the word and to give you strength to search out what his will would be for you in the word. That you might discover his will. And then for some today, as we talked about demonstrating and walking worthy, God put his finger right on what it is in your life that you either need to lay down or pick up. And I'm going to ask you to come to an altar because there's just something about it. And either lay that thing down or pick up what he has instructed you to pick up. And then finally, if you've never been rescued, you've never been redeemed by God's amazing grace. You don't know where your eternity lies. See, you're gonna live forever somewhere. It's either heaven or hell. And you're here this morning and you don't know where that is. And God's dealing with you about your eternity. In just a moment, we're gonna stand to our feet. I'm gonna ask you to come forward, put your hand in any of these pastors that'll be across the front and just make this statement, I need to be saved. We would love to show you how you can have your name recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Persistent prayer in the Word. Walking worthy. May God challenge us today and change us through the preaching of His Word. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And now, Lord, I pray that conviction would fall in this place. And Lord, we wouldn't step out of a pew and walk out of here, but we'd step out of a pew and walk forward to do business with you, 
do the work in your in the hearts of your people, Lord. And God, if there's anybody in this place unsaved, would you reveal to them now their lost condition that they might, Lord, surrender their life to you today? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the preaching ministry podcast of Mount Pisgah Baptist Church. If you'd like additional information, please visit mtpisgah.cc.